feet. Can you join me in thanking the praise band real fast this morning? If you have your Bibles, now's the time to grab those and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in a seat back somewhere near you. Get it and get to page 1055 and you'll be with us. And by the way, uh, while we're thanking people and applauding people, can you join me in just telling uh, Sam and Colton and Julia and Sydney and Becca just again how proud we are of them and how thankful we are for, them for that day's step. That was cool. Right, so it's a, it's a good day no matter what, which means I can bomb this sermon. You've already had a good day. So I'm, I'm feeling free and loose, all right? So buckle your seatbelts. And uh, we're going to be in, we're gonna, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading a couple of verses there. And uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, we are, we're thankful for what we've already got to take part in today. Lord, we're thankful for the witness of, uh, of five individuals choosing to follow you in obedience to the baptism waters and a chance that we get to, to as a church, to, to celebrate with them, to give you glory, uh, to thank you for just the witness of your gospel once more. Um, and then, Lord, just the, the chance to, to worship you, um, to join together in, in corporate worship, and then to open your word. Uh, God, all these things are huge blessings. They're huge gifts of grace uh, from you to us. And so we ask as we turn our attention to your word now, and we take on a topic that uh, really has a, a lot of emotion behind it in our current day and age. Uh, Lord, that you would be the one who speaks, that you would be the one who makes things clear, uh, that you would be the one who convicts and draws people to yourself, and you'd be the one that gets the glory from all of it. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, when Abraham Lincoln was president, I'm sure you've heard of Abraham Lincoln, right? Uh, he was president, and, and there was one day that he was having trouble uh, with a political opponent, because politics have always uh, been that way, and this guy was just disagreeing with him no matter what he said. It didn't matter what position he took, the guy was going to take the opposite, and he just couldn't find any common ground. And he was getting pretty uh, exhausted by this, and so he paused for a second, and he's like, I'm going to try a new strategy. And so he looked at this political opponent of his, and he said, how many legs does a cow have? And the guy was like, well, four, of course. And Lincoln said, well, that's right. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have then? And the guy goes, well, it'd be five. And Lincoln said, no, no, that's where you're wrong. Because calling a, towel, a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. It would still only have four legs. And I mention that because there are a few words more triggering in our world right now than the word truth. There are not many concepts that elicit such a dramatic response. Merely talking about truth, merely suggesting that there is truth is more volatile than it's ever been. And there's a variety of reasons for this, but I think one is, is clear, uh, and I think that is technology. Right? The methods to uh, inform people keep adapting, but something crucial has been lost in all those adaptations. When we've gone from, from books and papers to uh, television to then cable TV, then to the 24-hour news cycle, and then to internet and social media and more, where all these sources of information that we have at our fingertips, they're all dependent on one thing to survive, and that is that they must have our attention. Call it whatever you like, right? Whether it's subscriptions, ratings, uh, downloads, likes, shares, engagements, whatever. They have to have our attention to survive or they won't make it. And with all the different uh, entities competing for our attention, they learned something crucial. That it's more important to elicit a reaction out of us than it is to inform us. It's because a reaction, fear, anger, uh, laughter, validation, a reaction always gets more attention. It always gets more engagement than just informing people. And so now they've all shifted to getting a reaction instead of informing. And in that environment, 
truth has become more and more fuzzy and harder and harder to find. And it's ultimately led to this widely accepted idea that I can now possess truth in and of myself. And I can call it my truth. Have you heard this? You cannot question my truth. Now things that used to be objectively true, I can declare as untrue because it doesn't vibe with my truth and you cannot question my truth. And the other thing that's dangerous about this concept is that it quickly becomes an aspect of identity. Think of just the language. My truth means that it's part of my identity. And what this has done is it puts gracious people who love others but also want truth to be truth in very precarious positions. They don't know how to move forward. It's why there's never been a higher temptation to just be quiet, to just give in, to not cause any kind of scene, to just silently disagree. Now, we need to be clear this morning as we look at truth, okay? The church of Jesus cannot, should not, must not ever be a bunch of unloving, self-righteous, superior jerks. We can't do that. But at the same time, God has called his church to be a beacon of truth. And the reason why is because God is truth. He's the source of all truth. He's created this world with, and established some foundational truths in it, which is why ultimately, no matter how it's viewed today, truth is beneficial. We need truth as human beings. We thrive on truth. We cannot, we cannot have human flourishing separate from truth. We can't do it. And in today's passage, we're going to see how seriously Paul calls Timothy to take truth in the church, like how seriously we are to take truth in the church. And then ultimately, I want us to look at Jesus, who is the source of truth. And so I'm going to invite Drew Almond up. He's going to read today's passage to you. It's just going to be a couple of verses, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. If you have your Bibles open there, would you please stand with Drew to honor the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Drew. Good morning. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Thank you, Drew. You guys have a seat. Keep your Bibles open right there. Where we're going we're gonna to look at those two verses this morning. Any other verses, we're going to throw in the screens for you, as always. And just so you're clear, we, I know we go over this every week, but context matters, right? So if you, if you haven't been here, we've been studying 2 Timothy all of 2022, and the context of this is that it's a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early church leaders, to Timothy. Uh, and it, Paul is writing shortly before his death. Okay, and Timothy is, has been Paul's protege for some time. He, uh, he uh, has discipled Timothy. He's invested in him. He's traveled with him. He, he, uh, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. And um, the reason that we have in our Bibles, first and second Timothy, is because one time Paul and Timothy were traveling together, and they came to the city of Ephesus, and then what they found there was that the church was in shambles. And it was in shambles because truth had been lost. Right, that false teachers had come in, they distorted the truth, it was a giant mess, and, and Paul didn't feel right leaving that place. And so he left Timothy there and established him as the pastor of that church and said, you need to clean this up. Right, and so 1 Timothy was all about uh, that process of cleaning that church up and reestablishing truth. And then 2 Timothy has been a letter that's all about legacy. Because Paul knows he's about to die. Right? And so he wants Timothy to be faithful to God long after Paul is gone. And so chapter 1, he told him not to be ashamed of, of suffering, not to be ashamed of cost for the gospel. And then he told him, he warned about everybody in Asia, which surrounded Ephesus, how all of them had deserted truth, and you don't want to be like one of them. 
And then chapter two so far, we've covered half of it. It's been all about endurance, right? It's just, it's just Paul's heart for Timothy is that he would, he would finish well, that he would run his entire race. He'd stay faithful to God to the end. But here in verse 14, where Drew started reading for us today, we see a shift, right? This, is, this isn't personal instruction to Timothy only now, right? Because all this instruction that Paul has given Timothy was not meant to end with Timothy. Now Paul is telling Timothy that he's to take this and lead the church with it. He's supposed to share these things with the church. Which is why the first truth we see from these verses is that God demands that his church be a beacon of truth. Now, there are, there are numerous local churches, even in this, just this city now, but all throughout history, right? All local churches believe, that believe in Jesus are part of the universal church of Jesus. And throughout all time, the ideas and beliefs of the cultures and civilizations that those churches have existed in have varied widely. It's been all over the map. But throughout it, God has called his church to be consistent, Because he expects his church to be proclaimers, teachers, followers, and people of truth. And he has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible. So he's shown us that he is truth. He's given his truth to us. And so a church, any local church that's worth its weight, is a place where truth is available. It's It's where truth is offered. It's where truth is taught. It's where truth is shared and where truth is lived out by the members of that church. Jesus talked about this to the woman at the well in Samaria. Right, when he, he, he mentioned to her how, what God demands of those who worship him. We gather today to worship him. And here's what Jesus says. That God is spirit and those who worship him must what? Must worship in spirit and in truth. God has been consistent about this throughout. Now, has the church been perfect at this? Sadly, no. But any time, any time a local church points you to Jesus, any time a church points you to his word, they are giving you truth. And it's part of their God-commanded design and purpose to do so. Look what Paul tells Timothy in verse 15. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. You see, that the concept that I want you to see there is that though Timothy is in Ephesus, though he's serving the church at Ephesus, right, he's got a congregation of people that he's presenting himself to every week, ultimately who he's presenting himself to is God. That through his, his, he is to work hard, he is to prepare, he is to be diligent, he is to be zealous, that's what those words mean, so that when he presents the truths of God's word to his church, he will be approved by God himself. I mentioned in the first service that, that Brooks and Norma Fulton, they always sit in the back in the first service, they've been members here for 55 years. Members of the same church for 55 years. And when I realized they hit that anniversary, like the, the, the double nickel, I was like, that's cool. And so I went separately and talked to both of them about it. I was like, man, I just wanted to like, thank you for just being here for 55 years. That's really cool. And both of them separately at two different conversations said the exact same thing to me. I said, yeah, we've been here 55 years, but if you stop teaching the Bible, we're gone. And I cannot tell you how much I love that and how much I appreciate that because it is a huge gift to have a congregation that demands to hear truth. That's how much of a gift that is to Adam and me and Brandon and others. But listen, the ultimate motivation for all of us, needs to be this, that we would present ourselves to God as one approved. No need for shame. Whether you're a pastor, teacher, parent, manager, employee, doctor, nurse, factory worker, custodian, coach, student, on and on and on, our motivation must be that we would present ourselves to God in a way that he would be pleased with and approve of. And one of the ways to do this is is by knowing truth and sharing truth and living truth is to recognize that I am where I am because God has placed me there. 
And so I parent and I lead and I work and I serve and I study. I do whatever it is that I have to do in those things. I do it for him because I want him to get the glory. The church needs to be a place where truth is presented. The church needs to be a place where truth is taught. The church needs to be a place where truth is modeled. And it needs to be a place where we're reminded of truth. Look at verse 14. It just starts by him saying, remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Now he mentions in that verse there that, that there are useless things to fight about. And this has been a theme in First and Second Timothy. Right? And, so, and he tells him to charge the church. We're not going to engage in those things. We're not going to get drugged down the mud of those things. It's to the ruin of those who listen. And we're going to unpack that more next week uh, with some of the verses that follow. But uh, to this week, I, I really was drawn to the first two words there in verse 14 because we can learn a lot from those two words. Just the two words, remind them. Okay, and I just, let's just think about it. Just start with the word them. Right? Paul is saying, all, right, all this stuff that I've instructed you, now take it to them. He's talking about the church there. Right, so there's nothing about Paul's instructions that were meant just for Timothy. Everything that we've studied in this letter, everything that Timothy uh, had learned, he was to take and teach it then to his church and remind them of it over and over and over again. It's why God included it in his word, so that we can do the same. It's what we've been doing for the last several weeks. In fact, you might recall early in this chapter, if you look at chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul tells Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so Paul, Timothy is not just to remind the congregation, then he's supposed to go train other people who can go then remind other people who can go then remind other people, right? Which means this, that truth is never meant to be kept secret, it's never meant to be hoarded, it's never meant to be isolated. Truth in the church is meant to be taught, and it's meant to be shared, and it's meant to be multiplied, and it's meant to be lived out, and it's meant to be put on display. It's to go to them, and secondly, the word remind is, is a present imperative in the Greek, which means this was to be Timothy's regular, consistent, ongoing practice. He was not to teach truth once and think it was over. He was to teach it over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why is because his people would not be hearing truth anywhere else. Remember what we're told in chapter 1, verse 15? That all in the province of Asia had deserted truth. Which means Timothy Church was surrounded by a civilization that had deserted truth. There was nothing in their lives. There was nothing in their city. There was nothing in their society outside of that church that would confirm for them the truth of God's word. Which is a lot like our world today. Which is why it's so important that any local church keep pulling people back to the truth of God's word. Keep pulling people back to truth. Helping it to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into their hearts. Reminding them again and again of things they already know to be true, but it's beneficial to hear again. In fact, there's nothing more foundational than the gospel. And my favorite Martin Luther quote is this, that he said, to preach the gospel to yourself every day and twice if necessary. Because you need to be reminded of those truths again and again and again. And so in a world where messaging changes all the time, and you can find conflicting takes on any subject you want out there, God has commissioned his church to be a beacon of truth. He's commanded his church to be proclaimers of the eternal, timeless, ever-relevant truths of his word. Secondly, we can see here, is that truth must be correctly handled. Look, look at verse 15 again. He tells Timothy, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Now, depending on your translation, it might say correctly teaching, correctly handling, rightly dividing. 
But the point is this, that Timothy would diligently work to ensure that his leading of the church, his teaching of the church, would be approved by God. And his greatest tool in this was the word of God. He had the Old Testament, at this time he had the apostles' teachings. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, if you handle those things well, your, your church will be shaped in a way that God will be honored. But if you don't, then falsehoods will come in and spread like a virus. And so ultimately, Timothy is being commissioned here to take the word of God and to treasure it and to value it and to know it and then to rightly share it and help other people apply it. And this idea of rightly handling truth is one that we should all strive for, but it gets complicated. I'm not going to lie to you. Because like all things, if rightly handling truth is that center path that we should stay on, then there's going to be ditches on both sides of that road. And I heard stories just this last week of people in both ditches. And the first one is cute, and so we'll use that one, right? Uh, on one side of the ditch is this idea of, of rejecting or misrepresenting truth to match a narrative you prefer. And so this ditch is it's having no respect for truth at all. It's just wanting your desires to rule the day. And so uh, one example of this is my brother. My parents were watching my brother's kids this last weekend. And being my brother's kids and having his DNA, you can know for sure that these kids are rotten sinners, man. Like, they're just real, this evil to the core, okay? And so uh, it's not their fault. It's their dad's fault, okay? But their mom, uh, my mom made them lunch, and she was wanting them to have a vegetable with it. And what she had was a little side salad. And so she's offering it to them. And my niece, Anna Claire, who's about eight, said, uh, well, Grandma, it says in the Bible that we shouldn't eat salad. And that's when my dad spoke and goes, oh, yeah? Why don't you tell me where it says that? And there was like a really long six, seven, eight second pause. And finally, Anna Claire said, Luke? And that's when her brother Isaiah, who's six, chimed in and goes, 17? <laughs> and that's when my dad said, well, I, I, gotta be, I don't have Luke 17 memorized, but I'm pretty sure there's nothing in there about not eating salads. And it was cute because they're little, but there's no respect for truth there at all, is there? Right, they're saying something the Bible doesn't say. Why? To justify desire. It's a lot less cute when we adults do this all the time, by the way. When we show a disdain and a disrespect of truth, all to justify something that we want to do. That's the ditch we've got to avoid. Now, the ditch on the other side is what I call being the hammer, where truth is the only thing that you respect. You basically go around beating people with your truth hammer only. I heard about a man this week who has cut his adult children out of his life completely. Completely. He will not talk to them. He will not call them. He will not check in on them. He will not visit them. He makes no attempt to see his grandkids ever, anything. And you know why the reason is? Because both of his adult children, after they got married, got a divorce. And his stance is, the Bible says that marriage needs to be for life. And God's design for marriage is in death do us part, and so I'm gonna have nothing to do with them. Now, technically, he's right about what the Bible says, right? Technically, truth is on his side. But when being right is the only thing that matters, what happens is truth becomes so ugly that nobody wants to be a part of it. And so what does it mean to correctly handle truth? I was reading lots of commentaries this week about what, what is the analogy Paul's getting at here. And there's a lot of times where Paul uses an analogy, it's, it's super clear what he means. Right, so if you were here earlier in the chapter, we looked at his analogy of being a soldier or being an athlete or being a farmer. It was, I mean, you can't even debate what he was trying to get across. But this analogy of correctly handling, it sounds like to measure straight or to cut straight. Uh, each, each, one, each one I read gave a different take on it. In fact, Dwayne uh, Lifton, who writes the uh, commentary for Dallas Theological Seminary, wrote on this. Just what image Paul had in mind here is still uncertain. Said, Many possibilities have been suggested, but a firm conclusion remains elusive. 
And at first I was frustrated by that, but I'd like to tell you why now I find that so refreshing. The reason I find it refreshing is because correctly handling the truth can be more complicated than we wish. And the reason why is that we are to do all things like Jesus did. And you need to understand, Jesus Christ is truth. He says in John 14, I am the way and I am the truth. So he is truth. He accurately represents truth. He never once watered truth down. He rightly handled it at all times. And the reason that he rightly handled it is because he wasn't just truth, but because he was also grace. This is what we're told about him in John 1. That the word, that's Jesus. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father. And here's what we're told. Full. I don't want you to miss that word. Full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know what we're being told there? We're being told that Jesus wasn't 100% truth and 0% grace. And he wasn't 100% grace and 0% truth. And we're also told that he wasn't even 50% grace and 50% truth. He was full. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And when you live in the fullness of grace and in the fullness of truth, it gets complicated. It requires humility. It requires wisdom. It requires deference. It requires, what it really requires is a complete and utter reliance on the Holy Spirit. You might even be accused of being inconsistent. Jesus was. He's accused of that a lot. But I want you to think about the interactions we see with him in the Gospels, the way that Jesus handled the woman at the well, the way that Jesus handled Pilate, the way that Jesus handled Nicodemus, the way that Jesus handled the Pharisees, the way that Jesus handled the Samaritans, the way that Jesus handled his disciples varied wildly. He treated them all incredibly differently. And not one time did he ever misrepresent truth. Not one time was he not 100% truth. But being 100% grace, he also knew what moments called for the hammer and what moments called for a softer touch. He had different expectations for people based on what they should have already known or what they had already received from him. He is the embodiment of truth, but was almost never a hammer. He loves order and design, but he seemed resistant to policy. He did not reject the Old Testament law, but fulfilled it. He had zero interest in the ceremonial aspects of religion, but went to every single Jewish feast and was in the synagogue on every Saturday. He rejected man's rules for the Sabbath, yet observed the Sabbath every single week. He is the most humble being to ever walk on this earth, yet was clear that he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And none of these things are contradictions, by the way. What they are are the marriage of grace and truth. And what comes out isn't always black and white to our eyes. Now, Jesus was the master at this because he's perfect. We're not. But that doesn't mean we don't try. We try because as his church, we seek to honor him. And by the way, any of you who are parents, you've done this. There are times when you draw a line in the sand, you're like, this is, this is law right here. I'm not budging from this. And then there are times where you show your kids grace and then you give them something they don't deserve. And when you're doing it right, by the way, what is happening is that you're considering other factors than just what is happening in that single moment. You're thinking about everything that led up to it, and you're thinking about the person you want your child to become after it. And so at different times, you make different decisions. So we can't be afraid of a little bit of messiness. We cannot be afraid of needing, desperately needing God's help to walk the straight path of being 100% grace and 100% truth. 
And we must do this with reliance on God and his spirit, who's full of grace and truth. And by the way, he promises us to do this for us. Remember Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Trust in God with everything. Don't rely on you, right? And then he, in all your ways, know him. And here's the promise. He'll make your path straight. He'll keep you out of the ditches. By the way, if all you ever are is a hammer, then you're only ever going to see people as nails. And the things that you're beating them with may very well be correct and truthful, but in the process, you're going to lose the right and you're going to lose the opportunity to ever have any influence in their life. And by the way, I, I cannot stress enough how important reliance on the Holy Spirit is in this. This requires deafness. This requires boldness at times. This requires wisdom. It requires reliance. Even talking about it, I'm opening myself up to being misunderstood, criticized, called liberal, whatever. But the goal is to avoid ditches on both sides. But I know myself, and I know this place, and given our respective truth around here, which is a great thing, for most of the people listening to me today, our greatest temptation will be to be the hammer. That if we're going to end up in a ditch, that will be the one that we fall into. And so let us ask God to handle truth correctly with 100% truth and 100% grace. And then ultimately, I want you to see this morning that Jesus Christ is truth. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this, that isn't directly out of these two verses. But if we're actually rightly handling truth, this is what today is all about, we've got to be clear on this, that even with everything that I just said, this much remains true, that there are absolutely times to draw a line in the sand. There are a few things where the stakes of mistruths are so high, anything other than firm and unmoving on them is actually not gracious at all. And it's all those truths have to do with Jesus Christ. Where we must take a stand, where we cannot move, where we must draw a line is in two areas. The first is in the supremacy of Jesus and the second is in salvation is in Jesus. The Bible is crystal clear that there's no one like Jesus, that he's the visible image of the invisible God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the creator, that he is eternal. That when he became a man, he had a miracle birth, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. After his death and resurrection, he ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, where he reigns now, and he will reign forever, because he is supreme, and he is greater, and he is better than anyone and anything ever. And any suggestion that Jesus Christ was created and not creator, any suggestion that he was just a man or a prophet or a teacher, that he was not sinless or holy or divine, any suggestion that he's anything less than he really is cannot be tolerated, cannot be allowed to spread, and cannot be partnered with. And it's not that we have to be right and everyone else has to be wrong. It's that the stakes are just way too high. Because what you have to realize is that every aspect of Jesus' supremacy, everything about him that makes him greater than anything else, has a direct part to play in our salvation. If he wasn't God, if he didn't have power over creation, if he wasn't sinless, if he wasn't eternal, then his death would mean nothing for us. He wouldn't have been able to pay the price for our sins. He wouldn't have been able to raise from the dead. He would not reign forever. The reason that salvation is possible in Jesus' name is because there's no one else like Jesus Christ. There's no one who has the resume that he has. There's no one who's capable of what he's capable of. There's no one who did what he did. There's no one who could do what he did if they tried. And so when it comes to Jesus, 
when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to salvation, the 100% truth, the 100% grace line is actually very clear, much easier to walk. Salvation is in Jesus and in Jesus alone, and that is truth. And the only gracious thing to do is to stand on that truth boldly and never give in on it. Because it matters too much. Because all of us have sinned. And all of us fall short of God's standard perfection. All of us owe a holy, awesome, terrifying God a debt for the sins that we have committed. And all of us not only face death, but hell forever if we don't get those sins paid for. And God, in his grace and truth, has made a way for you, sending his son Jesus to take on our flesh, to live the sinless, perfect life that we have not and could not, to die a death on our behalf, to pay our debt, to rise from the dead, to offer us eternal life. It is by belief in Jesus Christ that your debt can be paid and your sins forgiven. It's by trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone that you can have eternal life in heaven. It's not by being a good person. It's not by your church attendance. It's not by some religious ceremony that happened to you as a child. It's not by anything that you've done or anything that's been done to you. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through putting your faith in him and him alone that you can be saved. And if you're listening to me today and you're trusting in anything else to save you, you're trusting in anything else to grant you eternal life in heaven, what you're trusting in will fail you and let you down. And I really am sorry if you don't like hearing that. And I'm sorry if that offends you in some way. But we have to tell you what the Bible is clear about. God has made a way for you to know him. He's made a way for you to have life eternal. He's made a way for you to be spared from hell. And I'm compelled to tell you what that way is. Because you must know. And there is no other way. And so to wrap this up, I want to give us three ways to respond. And the first is simply this. Just to make truth a part of your diet. In Luke 6, Jesus shares this really simple principle. He says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. You know what Jesus is doing there? He's sharing this really simple principle that we, we all know, right, but we too often try to ignore and act like it isn't true. And the principle is this, that what goes in affects you. Just as your physical diet, if you eat junk all the time, you're going to get unhealthy. That's just a cold, hard fact of life. The same thing applies to your spiritual diet. Your spiritual diet affects your heart. So what we must do is we must have a consistent intake of truth. And to do so, we need to go to the source of truth, and we start with God's word. It is important that you know the Bible. It is. There are far too many Christians far too content with their ignorance of this book, not knowing how much their ignorance is hurting them. And so you need to, if you haven't yet, you need to start by getting in the word yourself. And then you progress in there by sitting under people who point you to it and teach you it. And then go beyond an experience like this one. As, as glad as I am that you're here this morning, and I am, right? There, there is a deeper level available to you in, in, in not only this church, but if you're a guest also just visiting from another church, in every church. We have groups that meet here on Sunday mornings between services. We have groups that meet every, almost every morning and every evening throughout the week. Right, where you can get to know people at a deeper level, but you can also discuss and learn the truths of God's word more deeply. And every week we mention that go deeper tab to you, because that's the design of it. We want you to go deeper in this. And if you're ready for that, go to our website. Uh, go, you're ready to go deeper? Go to our website, sign up for a group this week by clicking on that tab. You, and you'll get to know people better. You get to ingest more truth with others. You get to, to be around others. You get to talk about these things, discuss these things, and have it take a deeper root in your life.
But really the point is this. It's about intake. And so if you're out there and you ingest way more of social media and the internet and Netflix and cable news and all those things than you do of God's word, then what has happened is you're being shaped and discipled by something other than truth, whether you realize it or not. I'm not saying that you won't find any truth in those places, even though sometimes I would say that. I'm just saying that if your diet consists mainly of those sources and just a tiny little bit of Bible sprinkled in, that's a recipe for spiritual illness. Make sure your diet has an intake of truth. Secondly, live out truth and grace. See, it's not enough just to know what the Bible says. We have to then take that step of, of allowing it to shape our lives, to shape our hearts and our attitudes and our outlooks. And as we do so, we need to lean on God to help us find that middle path. Where we're not disrespecting, we're not rejecting truth to fit our desires, but we're also not a bunch of truth hammers just beating everyone up. Because there's a way, I assure you, there is a way to live out truth and to stand for truth and to not compromise in truth and to love truth without being unloving and ungracious to other people. And the reason I know there's a way to do it is because Jesus did it. It's possible. And with the lines and the Holy Spirit, we can try to do the same. Because if we don't rightly represent truth, if we don't rightly represent truth, there's no reason for anyone to listen to what we have to say. But if we don't rightly represent grace, no one's ever going to want to listen to what we have to say. And so we have to find that middle ground with the help of the Lord. And then lastly, find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Today was a very exciting day. We got to celebrate five baptisms of the church, that, that beautiful image of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We love these. I can't tell you how much we love these days. We love celebrating them as a church. We love what it means for those individuals who took that step of obedience and wanting to glorify Jesus. But guess what we aren't celebrating? We're not celebrating the water. We don't believe that this act saved them in any way. We're celebrating that, that they have found this to be true, that they needed saving and Jesus Christ saved them. That's what we're celebrating. And they want to bring glory to him now. And here's what I would tell you is that everybody needs saving and Jesus is the only one who can save you. And if you've never placed your faith fully in Jesus, I'm not saying place your faith in anything else or in Jesus plus something else you did. I'm saying place your faith fully in Jesus and in Jesus alone. If you've never done that, make today the day of your salvation. Forsake everything else. Don't trust in anything else. Put your faith in him and him alone and his truth and his grace and his love and his power will save you today. So I call on you to make this decision. If that's something you've never done and you want that to be uh, your, your decision today, then we're going to sing a song here in a second. And afterwards, you find me. You find Adam. You find whoever invited you. You find us. And we will celebrate that decision with you today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that your word so clearly and so wonderfully presents truth to us. And we're grateful that your word so clearly and so wonderfully presents grace to us. And Lord, in our human minds, especially in, in, in the worldly view, those two things really have a hard time vibing sometimes. Truth and grace can seem like they're at odds, but in you, God, they, they have this beautiful marriage. And so, God, I'm thankful that you call your people to live out truth and grace. 
I'm thankful that you, that you put such an immense challenge before us because in it, it requires us to rely on you. In it, it requires us to, to deepen our trust in you, to, to look to you for wisdom as every scenario might have a different response. And so God, I'm so thankful that you've put things in our path that drive us to you. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have that if we, if we trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our understanding that you will make our path straight. And so I pray that you would make me, that you would make everybody who calls FB home, you would make this a church where truth is presented clearly and accurately and never compromised on and where grace flows abundantly. God, that we would be 100% grace and 100% truth to your glory. Lord, to any of us who don't have a, a spiritual intake of truth, that we, we are not in your word. We're not, we're not seeking out group life. We're not, we're not going and talking about this with other people. We're, not, we're just getting a little sprinkle on Sunday morning, that's it. May you give us a burden to want to know truth more deeply. May you give us a burden to want to know you more deeply. May we commit to you this morning that we would begin to seek out your truth, that you would have a louder, bigger voice in our lives. And God, for anybody who's walked in the door today trusting in anything other than Jesus, whether they're trusting in nothing or trusting themselves or trusting in some religious ceremony or trusting in their good works or trusting the fact that they walked in the door today, God, anybody who's trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ, would they hear clearly that salvation is in him and him alone? And when they put their faith fully in his life, his death, his resurrection, to save them, to forgive them of their sins, to reconcile them to you, and to promise them eternal life in heaven. God, would you save their souls right now, and would you help us as a church be able to celebrate that with them today? And we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.